the bad news is that your cute cloth masks, you know, that we've been wearing are probably not the best, especially, you know, with the new super contagious variant. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, ladies. Yeah. Okay, hey, so girl. Megan here. I am excited to introduce today's guest, Sarah Smith, who is a fellow editor-in-chief at Hearst. She oversees the Healthy Living Powerhouse prevention on all platforms, including the monthly print magazine, digital site, books, events, and more. Prevention has been at the forefront of wellness for more than 70 years. Under Sarah's leadership, she has expanded the brand's reach to 15 million total audience and has deepened its commitment to science. Previously, Sarah was the executive editor at Red Book and the editorial director at the family health magazine, Kiwi. She lives in Manhattan with her husband, who is a nurse and son and dog and cats. Jamie jumping in here. Sarah certainly has her finger on the pulse of wellness and access to the latest breaking health news. In fact, prevention.com has become a go-to resource for 12 plus million visitors each month looking for trusted, expert-backed advice, particularly during the COVID crisis. And today, we're going to hone in on just that, tapping Sarah for everything we all need to know right now about Omicron and beyond. So listen to today's show if you want to know how common false positive tests are, if you can get COVID twice, what mild COVID is like, the 411 on the new CDC mask standards, how to tell what strain of COVID-19 you have, and if you can mix and match boosters and more. Sarah, (laughs) welcome to Off the Gram. I am super excited to pick your brain today because as someone who had OG COVID last year is vaxxed and boosted, I was feeling pretty much like a superhero until the Omicron. And I don't know if it's Omicron, Omicron. Yeah, how do you say it? Can anyone clear that up? We've been saying Omicron at prevention. Really? Interesting. I feel like I hear the news say Omicron all the time. But but like nobody's right because nobody knows. Well, prevention's right because their research team is so rigorous. So I'm just going to say. Except we're doing a lot, you know, over email. So I don't know, you guys. I feel like maybe we should. Maybe we should ask a Greek. Isn't it a Greek character? Omicron. Maybe we should just claim that whatever Sarah says is gospel. Why don't we just call it the big O? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to dive into the first question today, and that is, how likely are you to get reinfected with COVID-19 during the big O wave, and can you get the big O twice and not the good big O? (laughs) Okay, so uh, (laughs) yes, the bad news is you absolutely can get Omicron, Omicron after you've gotten the original. Here's the thing. So you're technically lower risk if you had it before or if you're when you're fully vaccinated, you know, according to the CDC. But Omicron is so contagious that, you know, what experts say is happening that your immune system gets sort of swamped by all the exposure that's coming at you, which is why you can get it again, you know, or get it after getting, you know, another variation. And the other thing is that it doesn't give you 
excellent immunity the way that a vaccine does, of course, and the way that sort of the OG, you know, was so hard on people that it did give them a stronger immunity. It's a milder infection. And so, you know, you're not getting that immune response that then is going to protect you. So you can get it and get it. That's interesting. You know, I had heard a lot of people, like a lot of my mom friends were like, maybe we should just have like an Omicron party. Like they used to have chicken pox parties. And then my husband and I read an article, I, I think it was CNN, but I, I had heard a couple places that people are like, that's a very bad idea and you should not try to get it. Is that correct? Because it also might not even give you the immunity is what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I can totally see why that is so tempting. I mean, I get it because people are saying, oh, well, it wasn't so bad, you know, and then once you get it, you don't have to worry. But A, you do still have to worry. But also, you know, mild means no hospital, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean like you're going to have a great time. And you could still then pass it to someone else. And that's still such a big part of all of this is to protect other people from getting it. Yeah, amen. So speaking of protecting other people from getting it, this is Jamie. And I've been like a little crazy, but maybe not crazy, maybe just like sensible. I don't know. I like to think I'm sensible, but maybe everyone who comes to my house thinks I'm a little crazy because I've been making everyone who comes to my house take an at-home test in the driveway. That means any babysitter, even if she's been here before, like food stylist for a segment I was doing the other day, like I make them sit in the driveway and I make them actually take two. I leave two in my mailbox because we were really like being very vigilant and trying to not stockpile, not to like take up. I was about to ask, Heidi has to interject here and be like, James, how the heck did you get all of those tests? Because that cannot be legal. She's in Pennsylvania. (laughs) People in Pennsylvania weren't hoarding them, right, James? It was like, easier to get. That's completely, no, that's not true at all. Uh Uh-uh. They were not at all easier to get. We were just extremely vigilant. We wanted to have people test and we would wait, like a store would tell us we're going to be getting them in Thursday at 10 a.m. My husband would be waiting there at 9.30. There'd be other people waiting there at 9.30. And when they came in at 10, we would get our allotted amount, which was two. I mean, we weren't doing anything extra because I have people coming in and out of my home. My husband's over 60 years old. I have one child who's not vaccinated, like many other families. And I chose to be extra careful. So My question is this, though. How accurate are those at-home tests? Like, is it really common to have a false positive or a false negative? Like, what are you hearing? Okay, so... First, let me just say, I don't think you're being crazy. I think that's great that you want to be testing people and to be careful, like good for you. So the at-home tests are pretty accurate. I mean, if someone has symptoms, they're basically... If done properly. Well, right. I was going to totally get to that because I also have a story for you on that. But if you have symptoms, they're basically 100% accurate. Even without their real world testing has found them to be in the upper 90s percent accurate for a positive. Okay. So if you get a positive on that test, you have it, right? And that's the end of the story. Okay. So a false negative is a little more likely. So it might not pick up on a very small amount of the virus. Now, a very small amount means you're less likely to spread that which is why you want to test regularly. I don't think testing two in a row is going to probably change. I mean, it might, but, you know, testing once and then testing the very next day or five days later, which is the official, more official protocol, is always wise and smart. So there's always a danger with anything like this that there's going to be a false negative. But if there are no symptoms, I think you're in pretty good shape to 
trusted for people, especially if they're wearing a mask, right? If they're coming in and out of your home. But like you said, you have to follow the directions exactly. And each test, as you've probably discovered, Jamie, if you're getting different ones, they're like a little bit different. You know, this one has three drops that goes in. This one, you squeeze the thing and this, right? And how long you wait is super important. And I will tell you that my husband is a nurse. So he, you know, is an expert. One would think in all of this, he gives COVID tests all day long. He knows all about it. But he had to take one at home right around the holidays. And um, he didn't read the directions all the way through exactly. And he left the thing out too long. Like he didn't check it at the right time. And so the color that can change, give you the little line, you know, the, the I'm pregnant line. No, I have COVID line. The thing that can give you that, it can bleed if you leave it too long. And so it was like, oh, it's a faint line. Do I have it? And I was like, well, how long has this been out? 20 minutes? Well, that's too long. So you right. really just follow the directions exactly. Even nurses make mistakes on that. Sure. And I actually heard that with Omicron, you're supposed to test in the back of your throat as well. Cause like that was like a whole other wave of things. And I don't know if any of this is true or if, you know, sometimes I just think we just don't know. Are you hearing that? Like sometimes yeah. maybe there's just not a right answer yet. Right. I mean, the thing is there's still so much that we're all helping the experts figure out by the things that we're doing, which is a hard sort of place to realize that we're in. But, you know, the infectious disease experts that we talk to at prevention, they just really emphasize following the directions on the test because that's what the test has been tested for. And so the throat thing, it's not like you're not going to get the cells that you need for the test from back there, but you are definitely going to get them from the nose. You're not going to have any other interference. The nose is really the best. And you're also, you're not trying to get the boogers. You're just trying to scrape cells <laughs> off the inside. So I think that's another thing. It feels like you should, you're like digging and like, what is, cause you know, sometimes. But so should you pick your nose first? Is that important? <laughs> like clear well, the boogers and then swipe. That's a good question. You know, you can. So sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm blowing my nose. It's not going to be able to tell whether I've got it because now my nose is clear. But you can blow your nose if you don't want to get the snot out, but you don't have to. Like, it's not going to mess up the test. Is there anything you shouldn't do? Like, you know, use a nasal spray or something? Like, is there anything that could mess up the test? That's a really good question. I don't know about nasal sprays. I would say to not do anything like that. You know, you can get the mucus out because again, it's the, the surface layer of cells on the inside of your nose that you're getting out and that it is being tested. So anything that's going to cover those up or make them hard for you to just scrape out, don't do it. That is great information. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun with all of those at-home tests. We do like five to 10 tests in my house a week because I have three. My twins are six. My son is four. They're in New York City public schools. So they come home with those tests all the time. Yep, same <laughs> with my, son. my son is nine and he comes home with tests, uh, you know, at least once a week. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else has found this, but like when I do it at home, I literally, I am a direction reader, like to the letter. And I got out my little ruler and I measured what three quarters of an inch was because that's how much the one test says you're supposed to put it up. And so I'm like, okay, and this is how far it needs to go up my kid's nose. And then I'll go to a testing center and they have the Binax now. And they're like, oh, do, do, do. It's like surface, surface. It's like one quarter of an inch. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's so interesting how yeah. it can vary. And I'm like, I guess I don't need to be shoving it up their nose. I don't know, but I'm still going to follow the directions. Right. Following the directions is always a good idea. So I wanted to circle back 
to something else you said, which you and Jamie touched briefly on mild COVID symptoms, right? So can you sort of walk us through what exactly mild COVID-19 symptoms would be? Like, what is an example of it? Yeah, the mild cases are basically cold symptoms. You know, they're cough, a runny nose, maybe a sore throat, you know, and you feel kind of lousy, but not so much like a flu, which, you know, can lay you on your back, right? You can barely get up. So, and not, you know, those, the symptoms that were so unusual that were freaking people out with the losing the sense of smell and the breathing problems, those are not considered mild symptoms. Those would mean that you have a more serious case that you you know, should talk to your doctor about. Whereas the mild ones, you want to, you know, stay home, protect yourself, protect other people, take care of yourself, just like you would with a cold. But that's kind of how it feels. Hmm. That's interesting, though, because my sister-in-law, I'm not trying to sell her out here, but she had COVID over the break, and she did lose her sense of taste and smell. And now when we had OG COVID, my husband did lose his sense of taste and smell. My daughter did, but I did not. But I had a lot of the respiratory symptoms and gastrointestinal symptoms. And I'm not hearing as much about the gastro symptoms with this fun round of the Big O. That's a good point. The gastro is more with the original or with the Delta variant. And you know the thing about symptoms is that not everyone's going to get all the same one. So not everyone who got COVID the first time around lost their sense of smell, but a lot of people did. And why is that? Is that like immune system? Or? Yeah, that's just you know how your own body is reacting to the virus. It's kind of the way that some people have stronger reactions to the vaccine than other people. It's not actually about the vaccine. They work really similarly. It's really more about your own body and immunity and how it's responding. So how do you know what strain of COVID you have? Like if you have COVID now, does it have to be the big O or like, how do you know? If you're vaccinated, you almost definitely have Omicron because that's what's so contagious and the one that can sort of overcome and break through your defenses because there's just so many droplets of it out there. So if you aren't vaccinated, you could, you know, have either. And it's some of those symptoms things might tell you which one you have. I mean, experts sort of feel like it doesn't really matter for you, the person, because what you need to do if you have it is just stay away from other people. So, you know, it doesn't matter and go to the hospital if you can't breathe. But right. But, you know, I also think it's sort of interesting that the experts even are still trying to figure out who has what and what's growing. And they'll, you know, they'll test a certain percentage of the, you know, the tests that are done, you know, in hospitals and in official settings to sort of track the viruses and see what's happening. But all of that is all your personal information is stripped from those official government tests for privacy. Like there are a lot of privacy laws around health, as I'm sure you all know. So you can't even then call and say, hey, did you test mine? What do I have? Does it matter? I mean, I feel like it's like, you know, pin the tail on the COVID, but like, don't you just treat the symptoms? Yeah, but doesn't the Omicron sort of affect the upper respiratory tract more than the lungs? Isn't that, or was that just initial? No, that's that's true. You're not having those breathing lung issues with Omicron. So if that's how you're feeling, that's probably what you have, especially if you're vaccinated. But, you know, like Jamie said, you're just trying to get better. Yeah. I mean, my sister's wife has it right now. She just went to the hospital with pneumonia from Omicron. My sister had Omicron. Like, 
I mean, every single person. I, I've had friends with Omicron who had terrible diarrhea. Like, I think it's just, a, right? Like, it's kind of a crapshoot, no pun intended. Like, you just don't know what you're going to get. You don't. And that's why, again, back to those COVID parties, like, don't, don't, because you don't know how your body's going to react, right? Or, you know, how it might even be changing the strains that they haven't even picked up on yet. You don't want to be the guinea pig for that. Yeah. Well, I have a question because this actually is something that my whole family, like recently, not the family that lives close to me. So luckily I saw none of them, but most of my family has had COVID in the last three weeks and they've all been treating it differently. But some of my very much older relatives got it and they did the monoclonal antibody treatment. Now I'm wondering what are like COVID pills that we're hearing about? Is that the same thing as that treatment that was approved by the FDA or what is that? It's super interesting. So these are both treatments for COVID, not preventative measures like the vaccine is. Okay, but basically, the pills are changing the virus itself. And I can explain how that works. While the monoclonal antibody treatments are working with your immune system. Does that make sense? So, you know, they're, they're working on different sides of the problem here. So do you take them both? <laughs> I mean, I suppose you, I don't know if there's been research and testing on that because it's, they're really mainly for people who are at high risk of hospitalization and severe problems, right? So there's two different pills, Pfizer and Merck. They work in slightly different ways. You know, one slows the virus down from replicating it so your immune system can fight it. The other one makes it mutate in a weird way that then makes it sort of not work as a virus in your body. So and they just work differently. And then the monoclonal antibodies, they help your immune system. It's like they're giving your immune system extra soldiers for its army so you can fight it. But how do you that? Do you like have to go to the hospital and be like, give me that shit now because I feel like I'm going to die? Like, how do you get it? Do you have to be special? Do you have to know somebody? Like, how do you get it? Well, you have to be pretty sick. And then yes, you have to talk to your doctor. You could go to an emergency room, like where my husband works. And if they're very <laughs> sick, they'll send you upstairs or something like that. But again, you know, it's- And very could, sick means like you're- your lungs are in danger, you're at risk for pneumonia, those kind of things. Exactly. You have some sort of pre-existing condition related to, you know, your immune compromise. Maybe you're a certain age, your body is just slowing down. And so you need that extra boost. But yeah, it's not something you can like order for yourself or even call your doctor in order. And is it like an IV? Like, how do you get it? Do you like put it on your tongue? You get shut up? Like, how does it work? That's a good question. I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's an IV, but I'm not 100% sure about the monoclonal okay. antibodies. Wow. It's really cool that scientists are working so quickly that we already have these things at our disposal. It's really amazing. Yeah. Well, the monoclonal antibodies, it's actually a treatment that's been around since before COVID to treat cancer. Some cancers respond to it huh. with your immune system trying to fight what's happening in your body. So that that's like a transferring the technology to this case. And I don't know about the pills, like where those came from. I'm sure they came from something else, the way the vaccines sort of did, you know, they were working on mRNA technology, and then they were able to bring it into this. 
Well, let's talk more about the vaccine, please, because there was all this talk about, you know, you needed two doses of some, one dose of another, blah, 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 blah. And then the booster came along. And at first they were like, keep with the same one that you had of the original two doses. And then they were like, nope, just get a booster. It doesn't matter. And I had to, because of my doctors, stay with the same brand that I got my vaccines for because I have severe allergy, anaphylaxis, all those things. So I had to be in a hospital to have everything administered in case I went into anaphylaxis. So they didn't want me to try another brand. But for people that don't have severe allergies, is it reasonable to mix and match? Are you more covered because you have something else or what's the deal there? That's so interesting. And that's interesting that they suggested you stay on the same one. And my understanding is that there was guidance about that early on because there just, again, wasn't enough evidence, you know, that mixing was a good idea or bad. And if you'd already had one, they felt confident that they could you know, stick with that same brand. That's the sort of simplest, safest. I had to mix and match and I was so freaked out. I'm like, but I had Moderna. Why are you giving me Pfizer? And it's like, right. Cause that's all we have. And I was, I was like, pissed. okay. I did Pfizer all the way through and they let me choose. Like, it was like, which one do you want? So I just chose the one I got. And then the next day I read an article that was like, Pfizer is way less likely to cover you against Omicron. And I was like, damn it. I would have gotten the other one, but I read this a day late. So I don't know. Yeah, there has been a trial now that if you mix and match, you get the same coverage with mixing and matching or not mixing and matching because the Moderna and the Pfizer work so similarly. But they do recommend that if you got J&J the first time that you get Pfizer or Moderna for your booster, because that will give you a different kind of protection. And some experts do say that it's very, it's possible, it's theoretically possible that getting a different brand for your booster might give you broader protection, but there is no actual research on this yet. And so they all just say, just get the one that's convenient. I mean, all these infectious disease experts just want us to get the vaccine. So, you know, but they did study that either one is fine. Who knows? In six months, we could learn that mixing and matching is better, right? So even though it feels weird, like, oh no, I had Pfizer. I have to get Pfizer again. There's something like we all get sort of attached. Well, I'm type A. I'm like, I just want everything to match and line up. Like, why are you giving me, like, I just... It really, I was like this. Okay, fine. If that's all we can get, like it's all you have, fine. But I definitely felt like a little stressed about it. Yeah, it makes you uncomfortable. Right? Can we also talk masks? Because I feel like I hear new and different information about masks. I know there's been some CDC updates on masks. Like what's the deal now with the mask? Okay, so the bad news is that your cute cloth masks, you know, that we've been wearing are probably not the best, especially, you know, with the new super contagious variant. If you do want to wear one like that, you want it to fit really close to your face. You want there to be a nose wire. So it, you know, really goes over your nose. But honestly, the KN95s and the KF94s are, or a well-fitting surgical mask, even just, they look like nothing, but they're actually even better than the cloth ones because they have layers. Those are more protective of all of these droplets that are what make Omicron so contagious. So, you know, I think it's time to invest in those KN95. I gotta be honest, like, how do I even know what the hell the KN9, K9, like, I don't know how to even tell the difference of like, what's what. Does it say it on the package? Well, it'll say KN95, which means it's made in China and KF94 is made in Korea. I mean, that's sort of the difference between them. And there are things that some masks will say on the packaging besides those letters and numbers. There's ASTM, which is like a body that tests 
tests and gives ratings for things. If it says it meets ASTM standards, that's something you can look for. But not all masks that are good have gone through that process, right? So you're not necessarily getting a bad one if it doesn't have that. But if it has the ASTM on it, you know you're getting one that's been tested by a third party and you can definitely trust it. What about doubling up though? Because like sometimes I'll put on a paper surgical mask, pinch the wire and then put a cloth one over top and feel like I'm doing something good. You are definitely. I mean, you probably don't even need need the cloth one on top, but more is better for sure because you're trying to keep your droplets in and the other people droplets out. So the more layers you have, the better. But you want to you have to still be able to breathe. So which is why I just read our kids are all going to have cavities, by the way, because there's so much now the saliva in their mouth, the bacteria there. Yes, if this is not good for your teeth. The mask wearing is not good for your teeth. Have you heard this, Sarah? Have prevention reported on this yet? This is a new story idea that I'm writing down right now for us to cover because that's fascinating. <laughs> so I want to ask about kids, though, with small mm-hmm. faces. Jame, I don't know if you've run into this with Asher, but my kids apparently have teeny tiny faces, which I didn't know because I ordered like a zillion different brands uh, when the school said everybody needs their N95s to come to school. And all of them are giant the kids smalls. So I had to then like scrape around and try to find extra smalls. And what I'm seeing are like M 80s or something 80 and it's not 94 and it's not 95, but it's an extra small. So what, what's the deal with the little, little kids that aren't old enough to be vaccinated. So they're the most vulnerable. I think people are, have to do what you're doing. It's so frustrating. You're going to have to try different ones and you know, you can look yourself. Does it look like it has multiple layers in it? You know, can you pinch it to the nose on their faces and you know, is it gapping a lot on the sides and then, you know, you're just doing your best. I mean, that's what's so hard about all of this. Sarah, you know that brand Little Lives PPE? Isn't that a great brand, Little Lives? Do you know them? I don't know them. I'm so excited to hear about them. They're for little little faces. Okay. Yeah, it's called Little Lives PPE. I feel like Jane Francisco, the editor-in-chief of Good Housekeeping, introduced me to them. And they also make like face shields. Are face shields, is anybody doing that? Except the people who look crazy at Trader Joe's occasionally? Like I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of people wearing yeah. those. I mean, I don't think I'm not seeing it a lot. I don't think it's as important as the masks with the droplets from the nose and the mouth. I mean, covering your eyes, there was some worry early on. Oh my gosh, the droplets could get in through your eyes. And it's not that that's not possible. It's just if the rest of you is covered and you're washing your hands, you don't really need the face shield. But what about like little, sorry, make this all about my youngest child and my kids. Sorry, Heidi here. But like, For example, James had a birthday party. I've never set foot in their school because of COVID. But on his birthday, what the class does is they have all these cameras and they zoom you in and you can read a story on Zoom and you see from multiple angles the whole classroom. Half the kids weren't wearing the masks over their nose if they were wearing them over their mouth. And I was horrified. Now, listen. The teachers are doing the best they can. I have, there's no blame here. It's just reality of dealing with, you know, 18, four-year-olds, right? Three and four-year-olds. And so would that be a scenario where a face shield might help? Because then if their mask isn't over, it's like another layer or not even? I mean, it would definitely help. It's just, are they also going to you know, lift that off. It's just, there's little And like psychologically, what does wearing a face shield do to a little human, right? Like I'm now bubble girl or bubble boy. Yeah. I mean, I can say just anecdotally as another, as a mom of another little though, Mason, who's my six-year-old, well, five, whatever he is. (laughs) 
I don't know. He's around that age, right? Yeah. No, Mason's six. So he was like able to go to school, obviously, after that first year of not being at school. And he was like, great, mask me up. Like he was just so happy to be back in contact with his friends. He's, I mean, at that age, I'm finding them to be pretty good. I mean, we just had two positive cases in his class. And this is before I went to go do a photo thing with my mom last week. You guys know I had, I did like a shoot with my mom and my mom was like, you're still coming. That means you're definitely exposed. And I said, mom, it's not really like that anymore. Like he's vaccinated. These kids are completely masked and they are very good about social distancing. Like they get it. No one else in the class got it. I actually did keep them home for a few days, but no one else got it. And like, I feel like it doesn't necessarily mean today if one kid got it in the vicinity that definitely 800 kids are going to get it. But I do think that for the younger kids, it's almost impossible to keep their masks on. That said, my younger one has spent literally half of his life now in a global pandemic. So, you know, he's like, just kind of, this is his only reality. So I don't know that he's like, he doesn't seem so scarred. He seems just like, okay, the mask is what we wear when we contact with other people. I don't know. It's hard to say, I guess. But I think it's so individual, right? And the thing is, is that if there's, you know, three kids in that very young classroom that refuse to wear their mask or for whatever reason won't, or I don't care what the why, it's just that then is a whole other layer of exposure that when they take off their masks to eat, or I don't even know, it's just, you know, obviously if everyone's not doing it, it's not quite as effective, right? Sarah? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, right? Right. I'm not the expert. I mean, if everyone's like, not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Common sense. Right. I mean, the more, the better masking. And with little kids, also, you got to reassure yourself that hopefully most of them have vaccinated family at home. And so there's not a lot going around. And so that the even if they're compliant 50 to 60% of the time, that's so much better than nothing. Wait, that brings me to another question about the viral load. We talked about this way at the beginning and I want to circle back. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that the viral load coming off of children isn't as great. Is that true? I think it is true, but I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know if it's because their bodies are just smaller or because of, you know, how the virus is working in their bodies. Well, and I was going to say, just to share the story of why this came up and Heidi, like why you and I were talking about it and Megan is because my sister, her daughter got COVID from school and came home. And so they all quarantined together for a week and not one of the other family members got it. Not my sister, not her husband and not the son. And so it was suggested to her. And we actually learned this from Dr. Daria when we interviewed her. They were saying that when they did the testing in schools, kids sometimes even who had it would test positive, negative, positive, negative, because they were so on the cusp Mm. of the viral load registering that they were, their test would come up positive than negative because it was like only that much of the virus. So I don't know that we can rely on that as fact, like you're not going to catch it from a kid because you could, but perhaps... I mean, I've always said in the grand scheme of things, the one good thing that we can all just thank the heavens for is that this hasn't affected children more negatively. But can I kind of lead that into our last question? Because I do have one more question about kids as a mom of a two-year-old. What's the update on kids and vaccines? Like under five, is that coming soon to a a location near you? Yeah, I mean, it should be. It'll be here. I mean, we don't know for sure, but in the first half of the year, 
hopefully. I mean, the problem was that when they did the trials with those ages, they actually found that six months old to two years old responded well to the vaccine, but two to four year olds, they didn't have the expected immune reaction. So now they're testing a third dose as part of the initial protocol with that age. So they have like some ideas of why this is happening and what they can do about it. So it's not like they're like, what? I'm a little bit like that. I'm no, you know, scientist, but you know, they have a plan, right? And so they're testing that now. It takes a long time to do the tests with kids, especially because of these things you're saying that like, the viral load that they're carrying and how sick they're getting. Like it just takes longer to find out, did someone get sick or not? And that's what what happened last year with the the older kids. But also like to do the testing, you need kids, right? And who's volunteering their kid for the testing? Not me. I can, I love science, but you're not getting my kid. A lot of doctor's kids are in these trials. I've been seeing that on Instagram. Yeah. 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 A lot of doctor's kids. That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. And look, as a mom who had to bribe her son with two very expensive toys to get shot number one and two, the fact that you're telling me there's three (laughs) sounds like I better start a separate savings fund. Like there's a college fund and then there's the booster fund. I think you do. Jane, that's why I have to lower expectations. I'm like, you can have one unreal chocolate that is the size of my pinky finger. I'm not not above big bribing. Big bribing gets you everywhere. Oh my God. Well, this has been a lot of good information, you guys. This has been unbelievable. I know that we helped a lot of people at home today because, you know, we've tried to be an ongoing resource of just new information and new stuff and bringing on people like you to share it is so important because there is so much crazy misinformation out there. And we just really appreciate getting it from you, getting it straight from the horse's mouth and appreciate it so much. So Heidi, do you want to take us into our last segment? Yes. Thanks, James. Okay, Sarah. So we have one last thing and Megan's going to tell you it's called Karma Call. <laughs> that was awesome. She's got the best energy ever. We all know this, which is why I forced her to say it, but I'm the yogi. So I will explain that karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing, very knowledgeable guests. What is one small actionable item that our listeners could take for a short period of time that would yield a large result? So it could be related to COVID or not. It could be drink water every morning. What's yours? I have to tell you to go for a walk in the middle of the day. That is my best piece of advice. Prevention is like super into walking. We do a virtual walk event and everything, but really, and I write about it all the time. And then I forget to do it myself. And then when I remember, I'm like, oh no, it really is. It's this really powerful way to calm your mind. And of course it's good for your body and everything, but really the change of scenery and doing something that's just for yourself. I just can't speak highly enough of going for a 10 minute walk sometime during your busy day. Beautiful advice. Literally the best advice ever. And this is why we ask, sometimes we just forget that like the biggest and best answers are just the simplest. That's a great piece of advice. Well, thank you so much for that, my friend. We are going to let you go. But before we do, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the gram and also maybe where they should follow your magazine on the gram? Yeah. So definitely at Prevention Mag and I'm SRS Red. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you for your wealth of info. We appreciate you. you. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Yay. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah has left the chat. Oh, well, she's a wealth of information. What do you guys think? Are you more confused or less confused? I was going to ask that question. (laughs) I'm less confused, but like a little bit more stressed about my mask situation because I'm definitely a sucker who goes for like the cute cloth 
good vibes lightning bolt mask over the recommended CDC mask. I got rid of all of those masks. Uh, that was like a passing phase. That was that's so 2020. I, well, so I, 2020. I, I double up. So I wear the hospital mask and then I put that over it. And so like, that's how I feel like I'm doing the right thing. That was my subway mojo when I was on the subway before I stopped taking the subway. <laughs> I would do the hospital and then the cloth. But ever since Omicron sort of erupted over New York City, which is obviously where I am, I've been doing the, the 95s. But I will say then you hear like about all of the like counterfeit ones on Amazon and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, how are you? It's so difficult. And then with the kids, they have like 5,000 different numbers for little children. And I'm like, well, what is it? Like, what's right? I know it has to fit them. And that's the most important thing. But and around here, I don't know if you guys, there's like a whole, I mean, people have signs on their lawns, unmask our kids. I mean, I'm, yeah, well, there's, there's a, yeah, it's across it's the a, country. I mean, yeah. people are cuckoo banana. Not in Manhattan. Right, not in Manhattan. <laughs> and no one, Heidi, it's interesting. I think, and you know, our, we have listeners across the country with all different types of views and we, we know that. I live in Pennsylvania, which is a purple state. So it's a very interesting place to live because you really have 50 50. And I do think when you live in a state like New York or you live just on either coast, you tend to be in like a blue bubble. And it's really interesting hearing all different sides of the story. To me, there's just no argument against being the safest you can be. It's the same reason I don't let my kid play with knives. It's the same reason I don't let him just sip on the Drano. We just don't do dangerous things. If there's a dangerous disease out there, he's wearing a mask and it's not. And to be honest, my kids don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't know about yours, but Neither they're mine fine. See, uh, yeah, it's a little don't. bit trickier for mine because they know life before. Mm-hmm. So like Charlie's a sixth grader. Like this yeah. is like yeah. all of a sudden you're like this self-conscious tween yeah. who has to mask up. Like, and now you're worried about your skin and mask knee and <gasps> all of these other things. And they have such a hard time relating to each other socially as it is. And now you have this additional barrier. So I'm finding with the older kids, it's not just like, oh, yeah, wear the mask. Yeah. No, they remember I the time when they didn't have to. I have to say, it's funny when you said the thing about, you know, she's covering up her face and the mask knee and all. I was like, oh, but nobody can see it. So she's all good. She doesn't have to stress about the pimple on her chin or that. That was just my initial reaction. And then yeah. you explained the rest. Because I know, like, for me, when I go outside, I put that N95 on my face. You can't even see the dark circles on my eyes. Oh, me I'm like, too. no makeup required. I, I've got so <laughs> I've, I've got extensive mask me from wearing it, but right. yeah, but I do. I'm like, Oh good. I can cover that up. <laughs> no, totally. Look, I mean, we, we hear the alarming numbers on the increase in teen suicide. It's a very, very, very real scenario. And for any teen or young adult going through this time of their life during this crisis, it's a very challenging thing. My, my husband's son, who's living with us now, he graduated college during the global pandemic. My assistant, she graduated college during the global pandemic. And these are younger people who are trying to get a job in the hardest time. So you have to just think about every different person at every stage of life. And just everybody has their own experience with this, right? And has to do their best. And has them. to do their best. And that's why we should just be a little gentler on each other and let yeah. everybody mind their own beeswax and do their best, right? Um, I don't, society, I don't agree with that 100% in the fact that like, if you are required to wear a mask somewhere and you're not wearing one, I do believe that you are endangering everyone else in the room. And I don't yes. think that you should be able to do your thing if that means you could kill someone else. I agree with you, Heidi. And I think probably what I meant, and by the way, like I completely concur with that. So I think what I meant was like, 
stop being so argumentative about everything. I think what I meant was like, let's stop yelling at each other on the internet. And But once a law is in place, if the CDC says, this is what we got to do to stay safe, then everyone should just like, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, suit up and show up and do what you got to do until this thing's over. And that's the problem. Even if it changes three days later, it just requires yeah. a level of tolerance mm-hmm. and acceptance that, that can be incredibly difficult, right? Because people are like, they've just had it and I get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's just all pray to the universe and the universal gods and goddesses that we are around the corner from the end. Because I've heard that a few times too on the news. And they say once over comes over, we're going to be out of the peak of the whole pandemic. So let's just put some good energy against that. Let's wrap up today's show with those kinds of good vibes because that's the kind of good vibe I need in my life right now. I don't know about you girls. Yes, please. Always. All right, guys. Well, good vibes all around. Good vibes to all of you at home listening. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. 